Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learning so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Today's guest is Corey Robertson, one of the stars of the hit reality TV show, Duck Dynasty. It was actually Corey's idea to take their small family duck call business and turn it into a TV show about the quirky Robertson family. Duck Dynasty became one of the most successful reality shows in history with an incredible brand presence, and Corey and her husband, Willie, were the business minds behind it all. But you know something? Through it all, before the show and after, whether the cameras were off or on, Corey has been herself through and through. People are drawn to that kind of authenticity because they know that's a leader they can trust. And let me tell you, when you listen to Corey today, you're going to get a fantastic up-close and personal look at how to stay true to yourself even in the midst of big changes. Plus, she has some fantastic insights on scaling up, managing brands and partnerships, leading through chaos, and so much more. So here's my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, Corey Robertson. Corey, I can't wait to get into how you lead, but first I got to ask you, you know, you are a celebrity and a lot of big things are always happening to you. What was your last pinch me moment uh, that I can't believe it's happening to me moment? This wasn't my last, but this was like one of the biggest. So, okay, when I was a kid, I was a Kenny Rogers fan. I loved Kenny Rogers. I was in his fan club. Like, I was like this little eight-year-old kid in Kenny Rogers fan club. Well, I actually got to meet Kenny Rogers at a big awards show, and he had twins that were, you know, of age to watch Duck Dynasty, and they were huge fans of the show. So it was like a big moment for me because, like, yeah, <laughs> Kenny Rogers, you know. I told Willie, he was like my first man with a beard crush. So. <laughs> That's perfect, you know. You know, now way before Duck Dynasty, 50 years ago to be exact, your father-in-law, Phil Robertson, started a business called Duck Commander. Give us a snapshot of the business then and what it looks like today. Yeah, so whenever Duck Dynasty started, we actually had our 40-year anniversary on an episode. So a lot of people think, oh, this big overnight success. But no, we were 40 years in. And whenever I came into the family, actually, I was um, a kid when I first went down there. And they were just making their duck calls literally out of a little shed right next to their home. And it started like that. Phil had this idea to make a better duck call and he got it patented. He made a double readed call, which had not been done before. All the calls at that time were single read and just started doing it. And year by year, a little more money, a little more money. One of the fun stories that he did back in the day, he had a little tape recorder where he taped live ducks and he taped him blowing the duck call and you couldn't tell the difference between and he had it like scientifically tested to see you know the difference in the duck call and the live duck to prove to people as he kind of made his runs and went door to door trying to sell his duck calls and just prove to people that like scientifically it's the most duckiest sounding duck call out there on the market <laughs> I, I love it that's such a humble beginning and and what's the business like today it's grown a little bit. I'll never forget whenever <laughs> I'd the, say so. the warehouse. Yeah, just a little bit. The warehouse that we're in now, actually, where our this little podcast studio is. I remember when we we bought this warehouse. It was 
huge. We thought this is massive. We will never fill it up. We're in this like little corner of all of our products. And now, of course, we have other warehouses that have more of our product. And and this has become, you know, we have a store and a museum and all the things going on. So yeah, life's changed a little bit since those days of driving around the truck selling duck call door to door. <laughs> and 30 years ago, you marry Phil's son, Willie, and join the Robertson family. For someone who hasn't seen Duck uh, Dynasty on television, describe the Robertson family for me. <laughs> well, so the Robertson family, it's four brothers, and it's a family business. So you've got these four brothers, their wives, and then you've got this crazy Uncle Cy, which he was kind of the wild card in, of the whole family because I feel like everybody has a crazy uncle and could relate a little bit because Uncle Cy was the crazy uncle. But Phil and Kay are the matriarch and patriarch, and they ran this duck call business really out of their home. The boys grew up helping in the duck call business. It was a family business through and through. And um, when we started the show, we actually started the show on a little a smaller network called the Outdoor Channel. And we were like, hey, you think people would want to see more of what we do behind the scenes, like as a business? Because that that channel was more about just hunting, just straight up, like watch a deer in the woods, watch the ducks in the woods. But we were like, we think people want to see a little bit more about what we do and how we run it as a family. And that's really what kind of took off for us. I understand that was your idea to do the television show. When did you first get involved with the family business yourself? It was. So in the early days when we first got married, I needed a way to make a little extra money. So I was an art major. So I did these little hand-painted duck calls, limited edition. I had this idea. So I was like, I'm going to hand-paint these duck calls. And I had Phil sign them. And I did like 500 of them. And I sold them to, you know, different stores around the country. And I um, actually found just recently a hand-typed, I had typed it on a word processor, a little, you know, asking people to buy my hand-painted duck calls that I made back in the back in the early days. So that was my first um, entry into it. Willie actually wasn't working for the family business after he um, finished college. He was running a summer camp, managing a summer camp, and we were having our kids and doing that. And I think we just kind of looked over at the Duck Commander family business and Phil and Kay were a little bit tired and everybody had been doing it for a long time. And we were like, you know, we have some energy. We feel like we could get back in here and really do something. And so the first thing we did was to start the website, duckcommander.com. Phil did not know anything about websites. He was like, you know, if anybody wants to buy a duck call, they can just pick up the phone and call me. That was his <laughs> mentality. And we were like, you know, we think people might start buying things off the internet. So we should probably probably do a website. So Willie and I started doing duckcommander.com just out of our house. We put the phone number for our home phone number on the um, website and we'd get calls day and night and we'd take the orders and and package them and ship them right there from our home. And then we started a little club called Duckaholics Anonymous. And we, we were like, <laughs> we're going to, yeah. So I wrote the newsletter and we, um, we decided, you know, these are some hardcore fans. Like these people really love duck hunting. So we started this club and we called it Duckaholics and we, um, you know, got, gave them a newsletter and a t-shirt and a sticker that told, said you were part of the club. And um, it just kind of grew our, Willie and I, as we were watching it, we were like, you know, these people really are invested in Duck Commander and in what we're doing. Like, how can we do more? How can we you know, give our fans a little bit more and a little bit more? And um, it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. So when was it? Do you remember when you had this vision to do the television show? And was it a big, was it a hard sell for the family to buy into? 
A little bit, a little bit. I do remember. So I was actually watching um, the show American Chopper. If you remember that show, yeah. American Chopper, it was about brothers who made motorcycles. And I was thinking, why am I watching a show about motorcycles? I don't care about motorcycles, but I was like, oh, it's a family. It's about the family business. And you see this interaction between the brothers and their dad. And and then I start looking around and there's American Chopper products everywhere. You know, all of a sudden there's t-shirts and it's all this. And I was like, I wonder if we could sell more duck calls if we, um, you know, made a show like this. And I was like, I looked over to Willie and I said, you know, I really think we could do a reality show about your family. And he was like, who's going to watch that? And I said, well, babe, your family is not normal. Like y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all are kind of interesting. Like you're not normal. And he was like, what? So um, we actually went down to Phil and Kay and told them we had this idea. And Phil was like, who's going to watch this? I don't know. We were, I will say, before that, now Phil had the idea to film his hunts. He started making these DVDs called The Duckmen of Louisiana. It was a series. It, he did one one year. He sold it to Walmart. The next year, he didn't do it. And then they were like, you know, that actually did pretty well. You should do that again. So he had been, since about the 80s, he had making been making these DVDs of their hunts where you know, they just film what they did during hunting season, but it was all in the blind, you know, for hunters, you know, <laughs> just for hunters. So anyway, I thought, what if we expand that and, you know, tell a little bit more of the family story. And um, so I actually sent um, emails out to some different production companies and got zero response and thought, well, you know, I think it's a good idea. Maybe we'll see if we can figure out how to make this happen. And um, we were at our big industry show, trade show one year and Benelli Guns, we had a sponsorship deal with Benelli Guns. One thing that Willie is so good at and was so good about whenever we kind of came back into the business. Phil was kind of this loner. Like he did his thing. He had his invention. He lived in the woods and still that's how he is. But Willie's a people person. And so he had started building his relationships with a lot of different um, other people in the outdoor industry. And we had a relationship with Benelli Guns. They were sponsoring us and doing some things with us at that time. And they had just hired a guy out of reality TV. And so they asked for a meeting and we went and sat down and he said, you know, I had this idea. I think your family could do a show. <laughs> um, and I was like nudging Willie. I was like, see, I told you. <laughs> so um, so that was pretty, pretty fun, exciting time. Absolutely. And now, as I understand it, in your negotiation with the Outdoor Channel, I hear you ask for, in quotes, one more thing that Willie <laughs> thought was going to absolutely blow the the whole deal up. Tell us about that. That is true. So, yeah, so that conversation happened and we were excited because we were thinking, you know, this is really like a 30 minute commercial on Outdoor Channel to our market about you know, our business. And so we really looked at it as a great way to sell more duck calls. But, um, and so Willie's like, look, this is just great marketing. Let's just do it, you know? And I said, well, you know, I feel like y'all should probably get a talent fee. You know, this is your, your talent, you know, you should probably get a talent fee. And he had, you know, it was just like, do not screw this up. This is a good deal for us. They're paying for everything. They're sponsoring the whole thing. That's enough. Don't screw it up. And so I said, you know, I actually just read the book Negotiate to Win. And I was like, <laughs> you know, this cannot hurt. Like we can ask, they can always say no. I'll, and he's like, all right, we'll just back off. You know, if, if he, if he just seems at all, like he's going to back away, back off, don't screw this deal up. So I went in there and yeah, the deal was done and I got up the nerve and I said, Hey, 
you know, I really think the guys deserve a talent fee. And I put my number out there, you know, it was not a whole lot of money, but I put the number out there and the guy said, okay, sure, done. And then Willie was like, God, we should ask for more money. <laughs> of course, then I was like, see, I told you, I tried to go for more. You you held me back. But. Well, you did all right. As I understand it, you got 30000 for Phil, Jason, Willie, you know, as a appearance fee, which is great. Now, how do you, you determine the name for the first show? So originally it was Duck Commander. It was Benelli Presents Duck Commander. Well, then as that show was happening, we were kind of winning all the awards and they had these Golden Moose Awards. We won the Golden Moose Awards, all these awards <laughs> in the outdoor industry. And we got an email from, um, you know, a guy from Hollywood, information at duckcommander.com. He's like, hey, I think you've got what it takes to have a big show. And so Willie called him back. I remember I was in the room. He's on speakerphone and he's like, we, I saw your show. And he's just like, you're going to have, if we do what I think this show is going to do, you're going to be have billboards in Times Square. And we're like, yeah, right. But you know, we did really believe in it and we did think we, we, we had something special. And, um, so yeah, we made a sizzle reel and, um, pitched it around to all the networks and got offers from a lot of networks, which was really exciting and, um, ended up going with A&E. They had an audience like 50% female, 50% male, which really fit what we felt like our demographic. Cause we're such a family show. So we said yes to A&E, and then they're the ones who came up with the name Duck Dynasty. We submitted all kinds of names. We um, were friends with Luke Bryan, and we're, and he was early um, in his career at the time. And so we even had him make a little um, like a little song that would go with one of our titles. I can't remember what the title. We tried to get Duck Men because we own Duck Men, so we were like, trademark Duck Men. Let's name it Duck Men. But, of course, A&E didn't go for that. Um, and so they came up with the name Duck Dynasty, and we were just like, Hmm. We thought, we thought, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but you know, Hey, we'll, we'll go with it. We'll trust it. And it turned out to be a very, very good decision. Because you're listening to this, I can tell you're the kind of person who wants to learn how to lead well, but there's a lot of companies out there who want to take that desire and charge you $500 or a thousand dollars or heck even $20,000 to try and show you how to lead. That's just not right. If you want to be a better leader, I believe you deserve to have access to something that will truly help you, and it shouldn't cost a fortune. So I want you to go to howleaderslead.com and start my leadership class. It's really and truly free. And after you take this class, you're going to feel more confident in your role, and you'll be on your way to getting big things done with your team. Go check it out at howleaderslead.com. You and Willie do the negotiations on behalf of the entire family, the contracts, the sponsorships, the television deals. Was there, has there ever been a moment where that's been particularly challenging to get to the right solution? Yes, that is, is always challenging. Of course, when you work in a family business and you're, you know, you want to represent everybody well. And so that, that is hard. And Willie and I, as a husband and wife team, you know, we we have we both have some strong opinions sometimes, so there can definitely be some strong opinions. And one thinks we should go one way, one should, thinks we should go the other. But we tend to work pretty well because he is more of that like relationship person and all that. And I don't mind. I'm not. I I, I really probably had to learn this more than. But I'll read the fine print. I'll read the contract, and I'll and I'll stick with it. Willie's more like he reads the first round and it's like oh. 
no, we won't. And I'm like, no, we're going to get there. Like, we're going to get there. Come on. We're, we'll get our head down and, and we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll stick it out for the long haul till we negotiate to where we're all happy. Well, you read the book. So you had to know how to negotiate and you took that all the way to the bank. You know, you know, when your first episode of Duck Dynasty aired on A&E, what kind of impact? I'm really curious. What kind of impact did that have just almost overnight on duck call sales? That was insane. That first year was absolutely insane. So we started um, airing in April of 2012. And that first year that was so Duck call business is, you know, seasonal, obviously, because you only sell duck calls in the fall and winter. And so, you know, we kind of had a cycle for how we worked, you know, and how's the company worked and everything, because we've been doing it for a long time. And then all of a sudden you have this television show that's running every night and every week. And you got a lot of people that are not duck hunters buying duck calls, you know? (laughs) And so that was really fun, but a real challenge. We crashed, our website crashed, I think three times, honestly, that first year because of just, so we just weren't prepared at all. We started running a business 24 seven, this warehouse, we were hired. If you could walk, we hired you at the time. We were just like, come, we need you. We were, um, we literally had to, had to work 24 seven. We had to get, you know, other warehouses and all that. And, um, it was a really fun, exciting time, but, um, it was also a little bit crazy. We, we, we had to make a video because one other funny piece of it is our show, you know, it's a fun family show. And it appeared that we really weren't working very much because, you know, the show was always like the guys were messing around in the woods and weren't making duck calls. And so we'd get emails like, hey, y'all need to actually get to work and make some duck calls. I ordered my duck call three weeks ago and haven't gotten it yet. And we're <laughs> So we, we had to make a YouTube video saying like, look, we're really working here. We walked you through the warehouse. Promise. <laughs> work is happening. We are behind because we're trying to keep up with the demand. But, um, um, yeah, it, it was a crazy time. I'm just curious on this. If you if you could think back, you know, what would have been your duck calls per day, you know, before the TV show? And then what did it end up being? I should have looked up the numbers. I know this. In 2013, we sold a million duck calls, I think, before like August of that year. And there's... <laughs> And, um, and the duck hunter numbers, you know, of course there's, there's not even like really in our country, a million duck hunters, you know, so the numbers, it was one of those things that, you know, you say, oh, we had like 25% growth. It was like 800% growth. It was like, (laughs) I can believe it, you know, you know, and, and I understand that this is a handmade product. So, you know, how'd you go scaling up the business to keep up with that kind of demand? I mean, how'd you scale it? Yeah, so that was hard because um, the wooden duck call was the original duck call called the original um, duck call that the classic, the classic commander was the one, um, you know, that Phil began with. But obviously, the wooden duck calls are so time intensive to make. But we do. We still make all the duck calls right here. We put them together right here. They're all hand hand put together and blown here. But we did have to have to change some of our manufacturing to make it a little bit simpler and um, went with some more plastic calls. And we changed a little bit of our read system to make it really a lot easier to put together, which actually was a benefit to the customers, too, because when you take it apart or whatever, it's much easier to put together than our classic um, commander call was. You know, you mentioned that you had computer breakdowns and, you know, just handling the massive orders was stuff. How did you handle that as a leader? 
Corey. I mean, you know, the, you, you got all this success, but you've got all this pressure at the same time. How did you balance the the success pressure uh, uh, issue? Yeah, I will say the amazing thing about Duck Commander, and it's still like this to this day, is like everyone who works with us can wear all the hats and is willing to wear all the hats and is willing to get in there and like, okay, we got a big order. We need to just get it done. And that's kind of how Willie and I, we've, we've always run it. Phil and Kay ran it from day one. They're willing to do whatever it takes to, to make it happen. And in the early days, it was kind of like, literally, we would have a party and cook for people and invite them to come get an order, help us get an order out. But as it's gone on, you know, I think whenever everybody gets busy, like we're right there in there too, trying to help package orders or do what it takes to get the job done. So we really tried to do that. And then, um, and then, you know, make work fun and our, our work and family, it's kind of all intertwined for us and always has been. And um, I don't think we would have it any other way. So many times you start out small, you get big, you know, and you kind of, you can lose your way as you get big. How do you keep your, what is now a big business, a big company, how do you keep it small for the rest of the employees? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think, you know, there were pieces of it that we did lose our way because Duck Dynasty was so big and it became this like, we were on like toddler underwear, you know, it's like <laughs> Duck Dynasty Chia Pets and Duck Dynasty everything. But then we have this brand Duck Commander that is a legitimate hunting company that was here 40 years before and we hope is here 40 years after. And there was a, a moment there where it was, we're just kind of on everything and that oversaturation word that you hear or whatever, it happened to us. And so whenever the show ended, we had to say, okay, like, who are we at the at core? Like, who are we as Duck Commander at the core? And who are we going to be 40 years from now? And, um, you know, had to kind of relay that message to the customer that like, hey, we're still here. Like, we didn't leave. That Duck Dynasty didn't change who we are and, and what we're about. Um, that was a fun part of our life. And it was just like, big, massive, like, um, snapshot out of our life, but Duck Commander remains what it is. And so we, I think we were at risk of that. And we did for a little bit have to kind of come back to the customer and say, no, 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 no. Don't forget. Don't forget who we are at our core. You had one of the country's most popular television shows and, and you, you did leverage the brand in a whole lot of different areas. You know, how did you decide which way to go? That was not easy. We um, we definitely, so Duck Dynasty was owned by A&E. And so we were able to, I was, a, I was part of the licensing as far as like I had approvals and some things like that. But A&E, that, they managed that brand and that was theirs. And Duck Commander, we tried to be a little bit more strategic about what made sense for our family. One of the fun ones um, that we did, I'll never forget. So we had an episode where Willie um, bought a winery without even telling me. He calls me and it's like, I bought a winery. And I'm like, what? And I'll never forget when we did that episode, you know, thinking, oh, I don't know, like this might be like too far-fetched or whatever. Well, it led to Duck Commander Wine that we did with a wine company, Trincaro, out of Napa Valley. And it was the biggest selling wine in, in Walmart for, I think, 
three years running and it ended up being this great, great product that came spun out of that one episode. And um, it was just such a fun. Of course, we got to go out to Napa and do the wine tasting and all that. And it was a great wine and we sold it at Walmart for several years. And um, so things like that were not expected at all, you know, yeah. to have a wine. But um, so I think part of it, yeah, being open to things that are unexpected and some of the things we thought, oh, this is a sure deal. Um, you know, we didn't pick the right partners and, and didn't work. So, you, but I think looking for the right partners is probably a lesson that I learned in all of it is, um, you know, you can have the best idea, but if you don't have the right partner to go along with it, it's, it's not going to work. So what would be two or three things you've learned about picking the right partner? I think take your time in, in looking for, for that partner and make sure you find somebody who, who, knows what they're doing in that space. Someone can have success in one space, but maybe they don't really know what they're doing in another. And so I think there was sometimes when we had that where someone would come in and be like, oh, we did this and this, and we think we could do this for you and this, but it didn't necessarily translate. So I think um, looking for partners that are have success in, in specific areas, but then also partners that align in your values, because that does matter and it matters to us. It's not that, you know, Obviously, we are people of faith and faith informs everything we do. But business and business is business, of course, as well, too. But um, values that align, honesty, integrity, um, those type of values are, are just really important in, in who you're partnered with. That's some great insight there. And, you know, you've got incredibly good business instincts, obviously, you know, and, and you have the idea for the television show to grow the business and it takes off like a rocket ship. You know, what advice can you give leaders about following their gut? Uh, that's such a good one. I think that's so important. Um, our daughter Sadie has a business and she's so good at it, at following her gut. She knows God has given her the passion that she has and she follows it. And, I, and I've told her that, you know, there's been times whenever I've like, oh, my gut doesn't feel quite right, but gone for it. And it just it just never works. You know, I just think following your gut is so critical and so key. And, um, you know, stick to what you know, what you feel like um, God has put on you and put in your, in for you and in your business and, and try not to stray from that. You know, we know our market, we know our fans. And there have been times when I've been like, uh, maybe, but someone convinced me and I'm just like, it always comes back to, it always <laughs> comes back to that gut feeling. So I definitely um, think following your gut is, is a key. How has been being in the spotlight changed you as a leader? I would hope to say that it hasn't. I think that um, for our family, you know, one of the things we talked about just so much with our kids is like, you are who you are, whether you're in the spotlight or whether you're about the behind the scenes, whether you're in your work or your home or whatever, and just being really true to who you are, wherever you are, um, I think is so important. So I don't think that it has, and I kind of hope that it hasn't. And one of the things our daughter Sadie said one time, someone asked, like, how do you think, you know, you kind of stay grounded? And she was like, you know, we're really the same people as home as we are in public. So that's just how it is. That's great. And um, so I hope to think that's how we've lived our life. You know, tell me about this phrase that I think your family uses, remember the Alamo. I know what remember <laughs> the Alamo means. You know, I, I've watched that movie. It's one of my favorites as a kid. What's it mean when you apply that to your family? 
All right. So that goes back to whenever we first started the show, Duck Dynasty. And there was some, some of the family was a little unsure because, you know, we are going into unknown territory and there's this whole like thing of like, oh, you're going to Hollywood. Um, what's going to happen? Your kids are going to end up on drugs and you're going to end up divorced. And, you know, it's this like fear of Hollywood. So we had some conversations about that and we actually had a family meeting. We sat down and we we're just like, you know, this is something we feel like is going to be great for uh, our family, right, for our company. We hope we point people to Jesus, which is what our family is all about. But, you know, if it's not good for us, then we just want it to go away. We don't want it to happen because we really had, you know, our family values were what's most important. So we sat down as a family and we were like, how are we going to like protect ourselves from that? And someone said, I think we should have like a catchphrase. That's like, if, you know, if someone's getting off, someone's getting the big head, someone's forgetting what this is really about. We can just say that. And that's all we have to say. We don't say anything else. And Uncle Sai, who's the crazy one in the family says, remember the Alamo. And we're all like, look at him like, what? And he's like, that's it. Remember the Alamo. That's our saying. And so it had nothing to do with anything else, but it was the perfect saying for us. And, um, our Willie's oldest brother, Alan, bought us all refrigerator magnets that said to remember the Alamo for us to just put on our refrigerator. And it was just a reminder to us to stay true to who we are and not let the fame or fortune or whatever might come change us. <laughs> That's great. You know, you know, when I interviewed Dude Perfect, uh, they, they told me that their faith is, is what has kept their five founding members together through their ups and downs. How has faith played a part in how you actually go about leading? You know, what you do every day with the people that you're privileged to lead? Yeah, I think that's a great question because um, for us, it really does. Our faith affects everything. It's not something you do on Sunday morning and it's different when you come into work on Monday. It really affects our relationships, our marriage, our relationship with our kids, our relationship with, you know, the people that we work with. And so I think, um, yeah, those principles that are true to faith of honesty, integrity, values, um, truthfulness, just all those things that, that, you know, the Bible teaches us are the way to live. We, we try to live that in our workplace as well. We actually have a saying that our family has always said is faith, family ducks in that order. And it's another (laughs) kind of our family motto. It's like faith, family ducks in that order. And, you know, we always tell people ducks that can, that's interchangeable. That, That can be something else for you. But for us, faith, family ducks in that order is how we try to live. And interestingly, whenever, um, we started the show duck dynasty, we had a, um, the very first kind of promotional things. They made posters and billboards and all of this. And they um, they put on the top of them money family ducks. And it came, we, we got the prints for the first time. We had no idea that that was the way they were going to advertise it. And it was this, you know, they were trying to, you know, show that we were successful, whatever, you know, but it really bothered us because our family's not about the money. And so we took Sharpies and marked through every everyone that said money and we wrote faith on top of it. And so every autograph that we signed that of those posters, we just marked through money and wrote faith on top of that. You know, shifting gears for a minute, uh, I want to take you back. What's a story from your childhood that shaped the kind of leader you are today? Oh, that's a great question. So I grew up in a family business. My um, my granddad and my dad um, were businessmen. We owned, um, we actually owned Howard 
books that was sold to Simon & Schuster that published a lot of our Duck Dynasty books. So that was really cool. Another full circle moment. We owned um, a chain of discount stores called Howard Brothers Discount Stores and a chain of um, actually what ended up becoming Sam's. Sam's Club, we had Super Saver. And so I grew up in a family business. And one thing that um, I loved just watching my my granddad and my dad as businessmen was they were risk takers. They started a lot of businesses. And there were a few of them that hit and hit really big. And our family was successful in that way. But a lot of them didn't. But they weren't bothered by that, you know. And I think just seeing them be risk takers, and I've always tried to teach our kids that, you know, like, it's good. It, taking a risk is good. You know, there's a quote that I love. It's like, if you try and you fail, you're not a failure, you're a risk taker. And, you know, I think I saw that in my family. My um, my granddad was a risk taker. He tried, tried a lot of things. And like I said, some success, but he had fun in every bit of it. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed the process. He was full of joy in whatever he was doing. And, um, one of the one of the crazy things he did was he was um he loved to write so he was a songwriter as well and so he started this country music band and he had these these girls called the Steffen Sisters and they went on tour of Europe and I got to go as a babysitter I was like 15 years old and I got to tour Europe we went to all these little like country music festivals and bars and all that. <laughs> and I was like 14, 15 years old traveling around Europe with, and it had nothing to do with any other of his other businesses. It was just something he loved to do and wanted to do. And we went off and did it and I got to go do it with him. So I think that really shaped me to just have fun and follow your passions. If it's something you want to try, go for it. If you, you know, don't make it, get up and try something else. We'll be back with the rest of my conversation with Corey Robertson in just a moment. As you can hear, Corey isn't afraid of taking risks. And she's right. If you want to lead well, you've got to get comfortable with the possibility of failure. But what happens after you fail? How do you bounce back? For that, I absolutely love the wisdom from legendary figure skater Scott Hamilton about the power of getting back up after you fall. Failure isn't scarring or disfiguring or anything else. I think we put such a an identity on failure that we avoid it. We think it's it's going to be something that we have to carry with us for the rest of our life. And I try to encourage people that failure is 100% information, only information. If we can break it down to information instead of this horrible, toxic, scarring, disfiguring entity that we have to carry around with us for the rest of our life, I think we can move forward towards excellence or towards the best version of ourselves that we can be. And and so I'm, I'm a big fan of failure. I've fallen on the ice minimum 41,600 times, but it's, <laughs> it's getting up 41,600 times that allows you to understand the process of learning, the process of growing, and the process of getting to where you want to be. Go back and listen to my entire conversation with Scott, episode 69, here on How Leaders Lead. I understand you've always been a big dreamer. And, you know, when you were a teenager, you dreamt that you would be on the Johnny Carson show and you actually end up on the Jimmy Fallon show. What was that like when you when you went on that show? Yes, that is crazy. So I had a lisp as a kid and um, I had 
I still had a list as a teenager and I had a dream that I was going to be on the Johnny Carson show and I had a list and I was like, you know, I really think I should fix this because what if I ever get on the Johnny Carson show? <laughs> and it ended up being Jimmy Fallon and it was so much fun. He was really awesome behind, you know, meeting us backstage and everything. And, and it was just a lot of fun. You know, we did so many things that, yeah, were a dream. We, we were on all the, all the major talk shows, um, and we got to travel and speak all around the country. We got to be on all the, I love all the, um, you know, what do you call the, the award shows, got to go to all the award shows and present and do all that fun <laughs> stuff. And then our, our daughter, Sadie, did Dancing with the Stars, which was an absolute blast. So yeah, we've gotten to, we've gotten to do some fun things in life for sure. That's great. And, you know, you mentioned you know, reading that book on negotiation and how it helped you. How did you go about building your business acumen? Is this business is just growing leaps and bounds? And you had to you had to learn how to really run a business. You know, how'd you do it and, and how are you continuing to sharpen your skills? Yeah. So I was really fortunate to have a family that had a family business. So my dad's really wise in some of that. So a lot of just asking questions um, of him and and leaning on people who know more than I do. But I have also always been a big reader. So reading is definitely something that I always, you know, learn so much from. And and yeah, that Negotiate to Win book really did. I read it just before. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to implement this. So I think reading and then and then figuring out ways you can implement the things that you're learning from it is, um, is really important. So you had millions of people tuning into Duck Dynasty every week. And then in April of 2017, you aired your final episode. Why'd you stop? We had done it for five years. We did 130 episodes, and um, it was a lot. It was it was very busy, um, and it was fun and a whirlwind. But it felt just felt like time, you know. One of the things that was was challenging, I guess, about our show is we set up this show that's like around our family business right here, and then our lives were changing so much. But the show was still kind of set right here. You know, we were doing Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and all this kind of stuff. But the show still kind of was was um, set in a specific, very specific time period. And so it felt like, like, how's the show going to change and evolve with us? Um, or do we just end it? And like it was that was a great run and all that. So we did. We decided that it was time. And A&E felt like it was time. And they said, do you think it's time? We're like, we think it's time. Let's just go out while we're still in a in a really good place. And, um, you know, we still live in our same town. We're still running Duck Commander, still doing all the same things we were doing. So um, it just felt like the right time. How did it impact your business, your Duck Commander business? So when the show ended, we had reached a point of kind of this, like a little bit of oversaturation because Duck Dynasty was so, I mean, we were, when you went in Walmart, you just, I mean, we were in every department. There was just, the beards were everywhere, you know, and so Duck Dynasty was everywhere. So when the show ended, we did have to kind of, it was, it was really a good time for us to kind of come back and say like, okay, what are our core values? What's really important to us? Who were we before and who, who are we still? And so it was also a time of like cleaning up. There were some licensing things that we had done that weren't working. We're like, all right, we got to we gotta pull it back in, decide what's really important. Who are we going to be going forward? So I feel like the next um, couple of years were a little bit about that. You know, we had some, we had some big successes and some that were not working and um, trying to figure out what those things were, cleaning up some of that. And then, um, and then we decided 
one of the things that had been really on my heart from from after doing Duck Dynasty was just entertainment and how entertainment is shaping our culture. And so that's when we decided to start our production company, Tread Lively, which is something that we're doing now. That's great. And I want to ask you about that in a little bit, but I, I want to, I've had so much fun with this interview so far and I want to have a little bit more with my lightning round of questions. So okay, are you great. ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. What's one word others would use to best describe you? I think the word kind, because so I have a book called Strong and Kind, and it's about um, about two values that I wanted to instill in our kids. And so I hope they would say I'm kind. What would you say is the one word that best describes you? Um, strong. <laughs> if you could be one person for a day besides yourself, who would it be? Russell Brand. That's a weird. <laughs> I think he's hilarious. So I would love to know what goes on in his brain. <laughs> uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? Litters. I just hate people who throw trash outside. <laughs> what's something about West Monroe, Louisiana that most people wouldn't know? We love our town. So what would people not know? It's. I think people think it's this little bitty small town, but it, it's really got so much going for it. We, we love it. I don't know what the thing is that they wouldn't know about it, but come on to West Monroe. We're, we're pretty proud of our town. <laughs> when was the last time you went duck hunting? Oh, this is embarrassing. I went deer hunting last year. I actually shot a deer last year. Um, that was fun. Duck hunting. Oh, it's been five, 10 years. It's been a while. I'm not a duck hunter. Favorite memory from one of the Duck Dynasty episodes? We did an episode where our, our son, we filmed the episode where our son got married and he and his wife, Mary Kate, and that was so much fun. Uh, where's your happy place? We have a little beach area outside our house. I mean, it's a pond, so it's not really a beach, but it, we, we brought some sand in and I love going down there with the grandkids. <laughs> now, if I turned on the radio in your car, what would I hear? Probably an audible book. I'm listening to Younger Next Year right now. So I'll turn 50 this year. So I'm, I'm listening to Younger Next Year. <laughs> Great. What's something about you that few people would know? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty much of a risk taker. I love to have fun. I've, I've parachuted. I've, I love to snow ski. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't have a lot of fears in that regard. I love to try, try, try new things like that. <laughs> Great. Well, that's the end of the lightning round. And I just have a few more okay. questions and we'll wrap this Great. up. Okay. So in addition to the duck commander, I understand you also, and you mentioned this earlier that you, you work with your daughter, Sadie, and you help manage her career. She's got a huge platform with over 5 million followers on Instagram, which is amazing. What's she up to and what's the biggest challenge you face as a mother-daughter duo on the business front? So, yes, yeah, she started a company called Live Original, and um, she it's, her whole purpose is just to be a sister and a friend to people. She feels really called to that, and so she writes books. She does blogs. She has an app called LA Sister. She has a conference coming up in September um, called the LA Sister Conference. She has a podcast, and um, that's been so much fun to see her just really follow her dream and, and do all the things that God has placed on her heart. The biggest challenge um, 
You know, we work really, really well together, honestly. Um, she is she, one of the things that I think is is really unique about Sadie is from a very early age, she will ask advice and she will tell you her problems and she will let you speak into them, which I think is a real asset because um, it's helped her to be really wise beyond her years. So that's been great. Um, there have been times when I remember when she first moved to Nashville, I thought, you know, I don't need to be her you know, manager and mom, and we should probably get another manager so it can, we can have that separation. And, um, it only lasted about a year and then we're like, you know, we can really just do it ourselves. (laughs) That's so great to have that kind of relationship. And you also, now you mentioned this earlier, you, you own a production company called Tread Lively and you have a new movie, as I understand it, coming out in September called The Blind. Tell us about that. Give us a little sneak preview. We do. We are so excited. So yes, um, one of the things that that our show really kind of showed me was the power of entertainment, of shaping our culture and shaping, and we're being shaped by entertainment every single day. And so we did want to start a production company to put out more good content. And um, we're starting with a movie about our family story, which was kind of a big thing to start with about your own family story. We were like, oh, do we tell our story first? But um, we decided to go for it. And it's Phil and Kay's early days. So their childhood up to really the beginning of Duck Commander. So it's very different from what you see on Duck Dynasty. It's the hard years. And um, they they went through 10 really hard years that um, most people would have quit. It would have never made it. And um, so their story is the story that really made our family what it is today. And um, and when Jesus intervened in their life, their whole life changed and um, Duck Commander was invented and all that. So this is that story. I can't wait to watch that movie. And, you know, you, you've you gone through so many different challenges, so many different businesses, different brands that you've created or sub brands that you've created, you know, and you've, you know, you did all those episodes in that five-year period where it's just concentrated. How do you manage through the chaos of, 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 a, of a season like that, of, of five seasons of TV? How do you manage your time and, and stay focused? Yeah, so the first year of that, we it was insane. And whenever we go all in for something, we go all in. We're like, we're going to do this right. So I feel like that first season we filmed that we filmed probably each episode four times because we were like, okay, we got to get it right. We got to fine tune it. So I think there is a time of like you are just all in. There's no balance. There's no there's no like we're going to make this work and we got to do it. Then when once we did that, we said, okay, we've set some boundaries for ourselves. We said, we're only going to film Monday through Thursday. We're only going to do 30 episodes a year, even though they were wanting us, they were, they were airing our shows back to back and they wanted, you know, more, 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 more. But after that first, you know, run, we were like, all right, this is not sustainable. We have a family, we have a life, and that's what's most important. So then we set the boundaries. So I do think in any business, there are going to be the t- those times when you're going to be running and you're going to have to just get it. And then, but then you got to come back to like, where can we have the, you know, have a, a life and make sure something that we can sustain. And so we did that. We went back and negotiated and said, we're not filming Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. You know, we only do 30 episodes a year. And that and that made it sustainable for us for the next five years to to keep going. So I would say set boundaries. Well, you you walk the talk on your faith, uh, family, and and ducks. You know, there's no, that was the way to, to really do that. And um, I have the last question here. 
what's one piece of advice, Corey, that you 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 would give to some aspiring leader? I think just go for it with all your heart. You know, if you believe in something, go for it. Um, don't give up. I think there's a piece of it. I talked about risk taking, I think being willing to take the risk, but then there's another part that I think is equally important in businesses and making a business sustainable is that, and that's contentment, you know, being content where you are. And so you give it time to grow had Phil and Kay not been content with Duck Commander when it was making 12000 a year or 20000 a year and they had quit and just moved on to something else, we would have never seen the rewards these years later. So I think there are pieces of, of it where, especially in this generation where it's like everything's so fast, just, you know, be willing to jump out there and take the risk, but also be content if it doesn't immediately make a hit. Be content, stick with it, and stay with it long enough to where you can find the success. That's great advice. And uh, I have to ask you, did the Kardashians ever come meet with you to try to get some best practice learning from your show? <laughs> they did not. They did not. But, you know, we got asked about the Kardashians a lot because we were kind of coming up at the very same time and our kids were similar ages. And we're, and I was always like, well, they're a family running a business too. It just looks a little bit different than ours. But yeah, there's, there's similarities, I guess. We're both families in business together. Yeah. Well, Corey, putting the Kardashians aside, I have to tell you, this has just been a phenomenal conversation. And I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. And one of the things I really admire about you is your risk-taking and your courageous stand that you take and the fact that you've never lost track of who you are. Okay, I got to make a confession here. Corey really took me by surprise with one of her answers in this conversation. I asked her how being in the spotlight actually changed her as a leader. And you know what she said? She said she hoped it didn't. Boy, I just love that. Now, that doesn't mean that she didn't grow and develop as the show took off. I mean, you can hear for yourself. It's the exact opposite. But whatever life brings, success or otherwise, Corey knows who she is at her core and what matters most to her. And she's going to stay true to herself no matter what. That's a really powerful message every leader needs to take to heart. Because, you know, we all go through seasons with big changes and chaos. And if you don't have a clear sense of what really matters to you, then it's way too easy to get off track. This week... I want you to think about this idea of personal integrity and staying true to yourself. Now, I think a lot of us associate that with values and character, and that's massively important. Don't get me wrong, but staying true to yourself can also look like setting clear boundaries, and that's an area where I see a lot of leaders struggle. This week, I want you to think about a boundary you need to set. Maybe it's an opportunity you should decline because you don't really have the time or a partnership that's just not aligning right. Or maybe it's as simple as putting away your phone during dinner. Whatever it is, those clear boundaries help you stay true to yourself so you can stay focused on what really matters, both for yourself and your team. So do you want to know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders stay true to themselves. Coming up next on How Leaders Lead is Alan Mulally, the former CEO of Ford Motor Company. 
I would really focus on serving. I mean, it's the ultimate in living is to serve. You start asking people, what can I do? Whatever your job is, what can I do to help more, be more effective? But the thing that allows you to do that is if you have decided that the purpose of your life is to serve. And then when you move to the greater good, for the greater good on that, wow. So be sure to come back again next week to hear our entire conversation. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be. 